Hey everyone, this is another Patreon preview where in this series that we're just starting up, we go over some history of military unions, mostly through the mid-70s and early 80s. If you'd like the full thing, become a patron at patreon.com slash workstoppage. It's the only way that we get any funding for doing this show, so we really appreciate it when you support us. And, I mean, there's going to be a bunch of episodes in this series. This particular one is about just some uh, base, going over some basics in regards to military unions, at least in regards to the U.S. And uh, I'm very excited for the next one and the rest of the series. But anyway, here is the preview, and we hope you enjoy it. Solidarity. And then finally, we have the soldiers themselves who are either conscripts or volunteers. There's definitely ranks in there, but you can kind of, uh, especially when we talk about this, we're going to be talking about uh, two particular groups of soldiers, conscripts and volunteers. And they're often like both referred to as GIs or general issue or government issue, actually, which is interesting because it just insinuates that these soldiers are just like products of the state, almost Mm -hmm. commodities as as individuals. Yeah, that's where the the term like really got used kind of as tongue in cheek where it's like because the the term government issue. And one thing I will say, as as folks, longtime listeners of shows will know, before I I became a communist, I did work uh, in the defense uh, contracting industry for a while, uh, which I will regret forever. But but unfortunately, that did at least give me a lot of contact with uh, some of the trappings of the military. And one of the big things that will come across, <laughs> there are acronyms for everything, mm-hmm. and the soldiers then turn those acronyms into joke versions of those acronyms. <laughs> so I mean, I think you have to be able to laugh a little bit while you're doing atrocities. You yeah, know? <laughs> I mean, that's how, that's how obvious joke acronyms like FUBAR and SNAFU become actual standards for acronyms. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so this book also, I mean, so now that's kind of like the hierarchy. There's like four, what we've laid out there is basically like four four layers, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, of of like hierarchy more or less. Uh, but the book also forwards a theory uh, as to which conditions tend to lead to the formations of unions and protest movements within the ranks of the military. When it comes to resistance movements among low-ranking soldiers, it happens primarily in quote highly developed nations which the authors use a GDP per capita measurement of whether or not that's, you know, the best measurement, who cares? We'll just, we'll just go with it for right now. Uh, they also say that when movements do happen in countries that don't fall into this category, those movements tend to be led instead by like non-commissioned officers and especially in more technical positions like in the mm. Navy and Air Force. That's so interesting because you don't you see almost the exact opposite in almost every other situation where highly specialized workers are some of the easiest to silo off like initially. We I have a lot of thoughts on this, but, but I will save them for when we get to the actual instances and examples. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, and we'll get to the, to the examples, and I don't even think that we're really going to be, we're, since we're going to be talking about the United States, we're not going to be talking really about those, like, officers so much in this particular thing, because in the United States, the officers didn't really lead much. Yeah, uh, and I, I think when they talk about technical positions, what that usually is referring to is specialists in, say, the artillery 
or mm-hmm. later on more recently in the air force like air, air uh, like uh fighter pilots tend to be people that you know lead coups sometimes right, right. interesting or like uh, is it also when they say specialized positions like a lot of times you'll hear about a guy from a unit that was like the communications guy so he just carried like a hundred pounds of technology on his back all the time and it was his job to make sure it worked no they that's like that would be like in the the enlisted folks that's this that is, counts this as just is, infantry yeah this is more like above that this is people who are running a specialized unit like tank commanders or again fighter pilots is a very common one for this okay so these would be like squad leaders in some instances or like technical administrators in others yes okay yeah okay got it yeah those those mostly in the non-commissioned officer category that step right above the gis or like a shift supervisor in the military or in some of these cases in like the global south it'll be like your lieutenants your lower level officers like for like you know like or because it i'll just one example that i don't think they go over in the book for instance you know nasser or uh Mm -hmm. gaddafi you know coming to power through coups of groups of left-wing officers now they i think were both colonels at the time so a little higher up but that's mostly i think the sort of thing they're talking about interesting okay yeah that this book does not go over those examples but that's also really interesting because those are much higher positions than Mm -hmm. almost any of what we're going to cover in any of the examples that we use here well those are also happening in a very different ideological landscape but yes and it's also like it's not them or organizing a union in the military it's taking state power yeah which is a <laughs> kind of a different ball game yeah, yeah. and we will have one episode mm-hmm. that is about that kind of uh okay. but obviously we're getting ahead of ourselves here yes uh we got, we're still in the intro uh <laughs> one of my biggest critiques of the book is the flattening of all systems regardless of political economy the authors attempt to apply the same model to socialist nations but the comparison tends to not really land as the only times when soldiers really fought against the state in socialist countries were when was during the fall of the soviet union so, unfortunately, the analysis of the conditions of soldiers in socialist states is in many ways incomplete, and where the details exist, they really leave a lot to be desired and really feel like someone from the outside looking in. Sure, and I imagine they're also written in Russian, Chinese, or Spanish. Yeah, well, and I mean, I just don't... I, I think that he couldn't really get interviews in one of the chapters on, uh, you know, the Soviet, uh, some mm-hmm. Soviet countries. He, they would not really, they wouldn't talk to him. Like he was Fair from the enough. West. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, if you get Relatable. a random request, <laughs> like you get a request from a soldier on the other side of the cold war. Hey, can we interview you about the inner workings of your military and the dissident groups within it? Like I would probably tell you to fuck off. Too. Yeah. Especially if you're like a, a socialist soldier and you're like, well, this guy's from America. So he's basically in the Schutzstaffel and you'd be right, right to right. think that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and so, but, like, there is one short story from the GDR, which I thought was at least kind of funny, and maybe sheds more light on the situation more than any of their other analysis, so I do want to briefly recount that here, Uh, and this was published in a USGI newspaper in 1976. Quote, My first experience of seeing our mortal enemies, the communists, was a complete surprise. I expected the East German soldiers to look like shaved-headed robots. What did my eyes behold? Soldiers with long hair and mutton-chop sideburns, many not even wearing their headgear. 
One time last winter, Private George Kowicki was looking through his binoculars and spotted a group of East German soldiers standing suspiciously in the wood line. On closer observation, he noticed they were indulging in our favorite pastime, blowing a blow of hash. As they passed (laughs) it along to each other, they noticed they were being watched by their mortal enemy. They then proceeded to smile and wave. End quote. (laughs) These guys sound so fucking cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And this is like really... Uh, I feel like a lot of what happened in the, there was a lot of like red scare kind of uh, like ways in which things were portrayed. And then this kind of story comes up like and, yeah. and it was always that because the rest of the chapter goes on to talk about how like certain music was banned. But somehow soldiers were able to play it nearly nonstop <laughs> as well as like other silly propagandistic stories. So anyways, let's get back to what we're really here to talk about, which is resistance movements in the capitalist world, because I think that that's really where we're going to find the most useful analysis from this particular uh, source. Okay, but I do eventually want to do a full episode on the hash smoking soldiers of the GDR. (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah. We, 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 uh, you know, if I ever go that far into it, maybe. (laughs) While the official unions that are discussed consist of conscripts only for the most part, with small exceptions for very low-ranking volunteer soldiers, there are some other groups that resemble unions that exist in other higher ranks. It is kind of surprising to see the different applications of unions and organizations depending on the material conditions. First, though, let's start here in the United States, as I was kind of alluding to before. This book doesn't go over uh, Vietnam War resistance beyond a gloss, as it was mainly written with the actions of the mid-70s through the 80s, but we will touch on it a bit. Uh, First, we do have to orient ourselves as to the conditions of the military from the beginning of the 70s on. So, the height of the GI resistance movement was in 1970 and 71, uh, with about half of GIs participating in some form of activism. Through the second Indo... I I know it's literally the first sentence, but, like, that is astounding. I, I know that it's, like, this was during the draft, so it's not the same as now, but, like... Having fully 50% of your soldiers involved in some sort of dissent in a military in the middle of a war, uh, I mean, if, if for one thing only, it tells you how well the war is going for your side. <laughs> yeah. I mean, throughout the Second Indochina War era, before that point, uh, about one in four GIs participated in some form of activism, according to a government survey from the time. Between 1968 and 1973, there was like a a big internal organization called the American Servicemen's Union. This was actually formed by Andy Stapp, who was originally who had originally burned his draft card, but then managed to convince the military that they should let him in anyway, which I guess they did. Uh, that has to be wow! The, on- the only instance of that ever happened. <laughs> America really does produce some of the most inexplicable characters. <laughs> it, yeah, it, I, I was really surprised myself. And so he joined actually with the express intent of starting a union and some kind of like entryist tactic, I guess. This is which- like when my buddy told me he was going to buy a goat. <laughs> what dude <laughs> which which i mean it did have a small amount of success during the height of this military resistance in the draft 
Uh, Andy was discharged from the military basically a year later in 1968 when the military determined him to be undesirable, which then, you know, he ran, I mean, at the time and after he ran a radical paper called The Bond, uh, which after he got kicked out, he ran from a New York office. (laughs) <laughs> the newspaper was actually mailed to individuals and and small groups and distributed on bases by hand. Uh, so like they would just be mailed out and then handed out, you know, just like flyers almost. It's like a it's an underground newspaper. And then, yeah, exactly. I, I may think that this guy is absolutely fucking loony, but he's got gumption. I got to give him that. <laughs> you well, know, and yeah. we're going to see that a lot with like some of the the people who and I don't there's not a lot of like figures necessarily in this series, but the, where they do come up, you're almost like kind of want to root them on even though you're like <laughs> there's still some we got to do some real analysis it, here. Yeah, I'm like I, I I maybe I think this might be a bit naive, but I certainly appreciate the dedication and the fervor. <laughs> hey, look, it, whatever you can do to get dur- determined as undesirable by the military <laughs> very cool my friend salute <laughs> in the middle of the war too yeah. <laughs> to get them to be like you are so annoying we don't even want to deploy you <laughs> yeah and we'll, we'll get to we'll get to more about that as well but i mean he did help support some actions by soldiers fighting racist sexist top-down rule of the military one example of this support was when he went to fort hood texas to defend the fort hood 40 who were 43 black GIs who sat down and refused to be sent to Chicago in 1968 to suppress demonstrations at the Democratic National Convention. Hell yeah. Yeah, so there's there's some cool stuff, and we will tell some some cool stories in here. It's just I don't know how much they translate, especially into our mm. current era with the all volunteer army. Right. Well, and plus they renamed Fort Hood in May of this year. It's Fort Cavazos now. Oh. Interesting. Yeah, it's I, not racist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. I'm uh, sure they changed what the base does quite a bit too. Oh, absolutely <laughs> not. Please don't even bring that up. <laughs> oh, you tell me that there's danger to this land you call your own. And you watch them build the war machines right beside your home. And you tell me that you're ready to go marching through the war. Oh, I know you're set for fighting, but what are you fighting for? Before you pack your rifle, go sail across the sea. Just think upon the southern part of land that you call free. Oh, there's many kinds of slavery, and we've found many more. Yes, I know you're set for fighting, but what are you fighting for? And before you walk out on your job and answer to the call Just think about the millions who have no job at all And the men who wait for handouts with their eyes upon the floor Oh, I know you're set for fighting, but what are you fighting for? And read your morning papers, read every single line And tell me if you can believe that simple world you find Read every slanted word till your eyes are getting sore Yes, I know you're set for fighting, but what are you fighting for? Listen to your leaders, the ones that won the race As they stand there right before you and lie into your face 
If you ever try to buy them, you know what they stand for. I know you're set for fighting, but what are you fighting for? Put ragged clothes upon your back and sleep upon the ground. And tell police about your rights as they drag you down. And ask them as they lead you to some deserted door. Yes, I know you're set for fighting, but what are you fighting for? But the hardest thing I'll ask you, if you will only try, is take your children by their hands and look into their eyes. And there you'll see the answer you should have seen before. If you'll win the wars at home, there'll be no fighting anymore. <laughs> 